Hi there. A quick message before we start. Don't forget that you can save money this winter when you book your ski hire at intersportrent.com and use the code SKIPODCAST. You'll get a guaranteed discount for all ski hire in France, Austria and Switzerland. And to make it even simpler, you don't even need to use that code. Just take the link in the show notes and your basket will automatically be reduced. So if you want to support the Ski Podcast, remember to book your ski hire within support and to use the code Ski Podcast or take the link in the show notes. It'll save you money and help us too. Right, let's get on with the show. Welcome to episode 97 of the Ski Podcast and thanks for joining us. Uh, today is a down under special and we're going to be discussing skiing in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, firstly though, I'd like to thank Switzerland Tourism for supporting the Ski Podcast. We're going to have another feature on Switzerland in episode 98 when I'm going to be talking to someone who jumped to have a helicopter free falling above the uh, Jungfrau in Switzerland. So that should be pretty interesting. Now my name's Ian Martin. I'd like to introduce my guest today. I'm delighted to welcome back to the show uh, Rachel Oaksash, founder of the snowsbest.com website. You were last on the show, Rachel, back in July 2020, a long time ago. How are you now? I thought it was episode 56, wasn't it, Anne? It was episode 56. Good uh, memory. <laughs> I'm, I'm 10, 10 COVID kilos heavier, but happier now all the borders are open. <laughs> excellent, excellent. And Paul Anderson from nzski.com, you were last on the show just over a year ago. I looked it up. It was the 31st of uh, May, episode 73. How are you going? Kia Yeah, very well. Thank you, Ian. Uh, well, welcome to uh, the Hermit Kingdom, as we we uh, affectionately refer to ourselves as during those two very difficult years. Yeah, well, we'll be coming back to that and our conversation that we had uh, a year ago. But get, let me start by asking my guests uh, when and, and where you skied or snowboarded last. Rachel, we were just talking in the green room and you gave the game away a bit. But tell me where it was that you were last on snow. Well, it was last year, actually. I haven't skied this season yet. So last year... We were, well, I was fortunate that during lockdown, I was in an LGA or a regional area of New South Wales, which allowed me to travel. And we had a fantastic snow season. And so I was able to drive down to Perisher and Threadbow and the New South Wales ski resorts and ski without a single lift line <laughs> and ski, you know, fresh tracks and behave as if the entire resort was your own. So I am actually skiing again in a couple of weeks and um, quietly dreading the ski lift lines, yeah. Okay, well, it was a very strange uh, season for uh, everybody, although it's interesting that that does reflect perhaps a bit uh, of what it was like uh, in Europe. In the season, if I can remember all of these things, 2020-2021, when the lists were closed predominantly across Europe and locals had a fantastic time. They actually did lots of ski touring. They weren't able to catch a lift in most cases, but they did have the mountain to themselves. Uh, Paul, what about yourself? I know you're a very busy man. Have you been able to get out onto the mountain? Yeah, for me, at this time of the year, it's very early in the morning. So last time I skied was yesterday morning up at the Remarkables. And I was up here at about half past six and on my, on my skis to walk up. So I, I walked up to the top of Shadow Basin and skied the fresh tracks down and then uh, just rolled my sleeves up and dived into the rentals department for the onslaught of Australians we've got in Queenstown at the moment. A wonderful, it, wonderful way to start the day by, by amazing. scoring to the top. Had the sun come up already? It, it was coming up as I was going up. I started off with a head torch and kind of by the time I had my, my skins off and was skiing down, the sun was hitting the peaks. It's it's just it's stunning. It's a, it's an amazing time. It's my I, I say to people, it's my form of meditation. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I love that. I'm a big fan of ski touring as well. I've only done the sunrise ski touring once, which I did in Val Serenz a few years ago. It's very exciting to be on the slopes. I'm guessing probably some of the snow groomers were still around uh, preparing the piece as well, kind of off the side, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. No, they were, they were finishing off. I went up Shadow because they, they had finished that basin early, so they were still up in our main basins finishing off, yeah. Great. Okay. Well, that's great to hear that you've been on snow. We're about the time of year at the moment where we're about as far away from skiing as you can get in terms of the, the winter season. We, you know, into July now, it's it's on the way. There is summer skiing uh, going on. And uh, our last episode, episode 96, we had a couple of reports from team and uh, laid us out. Uh, the snow conditions are not good uh, over in Europe for summer skiing. It has been very warm. And unfortunately, uh, uh, Val didn't open at all. Tina's closed down uh, already. There's a, a glacier or, or a peak in Austria called Somblik. Uh, they uh, normally experience their snow melting. It's happened a month earlier than usual. And you may have heard about the Italian glacier in the Dolomites, which collapsed uh, early this week, uh, tragically uh, leading to lives being lost. Let's be more positive, though, and talk about the uh, snow uh, in the Southern Hemisphere. Both Australia and New Zealand have started very well. I think there's been an, an El Nino effect, and certainly records have been set for early season skiing. I wondered, Rachel, if you could tell us a little bit more about the situation uh, in Australia for early season. Well, it's actually we've actually been in La Nina down here. So we've had um, a, across the Pacific a higher precipitation, So and with lower temperatures obviously that ends up falling as snow we were fortunate in australia on one level that we had a massive snowstorm of about 120 centimeters two weeks before the season started it remained cold the resorts were able to open a week early there never comes a time where you actually think too much there is such a thing as too much snow but if you're selwyn snowfields which is a ski resort in australia that unfortunately burnt down in the bushfires in 2020 and had rebuilt and was opening this season they had too much snow and they weren't able to actually finish the final um construction that they had to do before the season launch so they won't open again until next year now so in that case there literally was uh, too much snow and do you remember about that the bushfires uh, ripped through there didn't it and it meant that yeah, they, absolutely. they had to rebuild but some of the resorts i think hotham uh, had their mm -hmm. best snow for 30 years or something like that yes that's what they were all claiming um uh, best season since 2000 and 2000 was a record season that everybody talks about and that's the barometer by which the resorts go do you think we'll be as good as that season um but obviously since then and then obviously paul can tell you new zealand backed up and followed us with some phenomenal snowfall and they're still going and uh australia does need a bit of a top up now i have to be honest um but there's you know maybe 20 centimeters coming this week we probably need a bit more than that but we'll see what happens Okay, well, 20 centimetres is perfect timing for your impending trip uh, next week as well then, isn't it? Uh, Paul, what about yourself? I also understand it was a pretty, it's been a pretty good start for snow uh, in the South Island as well. Yeah, particularly in the south of the South Island. So the Queenstown and Wanaka region had a, had an incredible start, a, a very unusual storm. We're, we're in a La Nina uh, system at the moment as well. And it was a very unusual storm which came straight up from the south and then took a very hard right turn and came into us as a nor'wester. And our nor'wester is usually windy and rainy, but this one was cold and very snowy. And um, Coronet Peak got a metre 20, uh, kind of like 
our mates over the hill and Tribble Cone did very well out of it. Remarkables across the basin got less, but still a good covering on their trails. Um, up north in Canterbury, Mount Hutt um, lucked out a wee bit. They they got the snow, but they got a lot of wind and it blew the, the snow off their ridges. So they had a really unusual situation with um, like four-metre drifts around their base building and on their lower lifts and virtually nothing on the ridges and up the top. We've got a good storm coming in, though, from tonight, actually. From tonight, over the next couple of days, we should get somewhere between 20 and 40 centimetres on uh, our three resorts. So, uh, you know, overall, then, the picture is uh, is good. You know, you've got good uh, coverage with more uh, coming in, which is exactly what you need for the early part of the season, which it still is in, in uh, both Australia and New Zealand, right? Coronet Peak's our poster child, and when it's covered in snow, it looks incredible. It skis very, very wide, and it's, it's doing so well up there at the moment. And then I've not seen the New Zealand resorts look as good as they look at this time of the year in yeah. years. It really is fantastic. And traditionally what happens is Australia has a good season, New Zealand doesn't. New Zealand has a good season, Australia doesn't. Uh, it kind of moves that way. And in the South Island, as Paul would tell you, that's so unusual that down the south would get so much more than up in Canterbury. And it's yeah, completely. Coming out of just, you know, people digging out the digging out the um, nutcracker rope toes from the club fields mm. in Canterbury, which is, yeah. it's really exciting. And it looks really chalky as well. It, it looks doesn't look wet at all. It looks all chalky and squeaky. And am I right or wrong, Paul? No, you're right. It's, um, <laughs> and it's yeah, it stayed really cold, you know, and the, the advantage of Coronet Peak with that nice cold base, and we've had very cold nights, so getting some great snowmaking made on top. So lovely freshen-ups every day. It's been great. And yeah, yeah this could be actually a good opportunity. This could be a good opportunity, Paul, just to, you know, remind the listener who, you know, may not be aware. I mean, they're probably, I'm sure they know the geography of New Zealand and the North Island and the South Island. But, you know, you work for nzski.com, so you represent three different resorts, I think. Yep. Do you want to just uh, explain roughly, you know, where they are? Yeah, correct. So uh, we're in the South Island of New Zealand. We've got two resorts in the Queenstown region, which is um, more southern. That's uh, Coronet Peak and Remarkables. And we've got Mount Hutt and Canterbury, which is about uh, 500Ks north of where I am here on the towards the east coast of the South Island and just inland from Christchurch. Yeah, and just, you know, to complete the geography, uh, there is obviously other skiing in the South Island as well. I think we've got uh, one, uh, Treble Cone and uh, Cardrona, right? Yeah, so so our mates over the hill, uh, Cardrona and TC closer to Wanaka. Cardrona's kind of between uh, Queenstown and Wanaka. Um, then we've got all the club fields up in that Canterbury zone. Um, there's a few fields between us and Canterbury, like Ohau and Dobson and Roundhill. Um, and then in the North Island, in the middle of the North Island, we've got Whakapapa and Turoa. Yeah, and I think a few several people will have heard of those as well. Uh, that's uh, that's excellent. Now, let's come on to, so the snow is a brilliant start. It, in some ways, it's very interesting following the situation in Australia and New Zealand because it's kind of mirroring what we've been through in Europe. When I spoke to you a year ago, Paul, you know, we were really positive. You know, you were looking forward to welcoming all the Australians over. The trans-Tasman bubble, you know, was in place there. Uh, and in fact, I listened to that interview and you, you know, <laughs> saying how excited you were about it. And then we went into that. I think it was the Delta lockdown. It's so hard to remember how these uh, how these things uh, which of these things it was? How did um, that 2021 season work out in the end for you, Paul? 
it seems a lifetime ago. So much happened during that uh, 2021 season. Yeah, as you said, we were really excited. We had open borders going into the season. And then I think it was halfway through the Australian school holidays, our border closed with that Delta outbreak. Yeah, you're correct. Um, we reverted to a largely domestic uh, visitation, which was awesome during the school holidays. But for us, the, the Australian market really increases our numbers outside of the school holidays just because of the sheer size of those population centres and the ease to get into Queenstown. Then later in the season, and I know this sounds like, oh, of course it would happen like that, um, that the, the old Murphy's Law, uh, 18th of August, we had our next lockdown. Um, so Omicron started to break in New Zealand and our government took the very frustrating decision to put us into a three-week lockdown. Um, so we all sat at home and watched this incredible snow on, on Cronet Peak and Remarkables. I can see both mountains from where I was working in, my, in the loft above my carriage at home. Um, it was excruciating. But, you know, the most important thing we had to do during that period was look after our staff. We had yep. 900 staff here in Queenstown, about 300 up in Methven, and we had to do everything to support them. And fortunately, with the, with the help of the government, we could do that. So how did how did the 2020 season uh, end out in the end relative to you know normal seasons if you can uh, uh, remember such a thing? <laughs> yeah, so 2020 was a purely domestic season, so we had completely sealed borders. We were at least 40% down on visitation and 50% down on revenue. So pretty brutal from a business perspective. Um, we had underestimated the the amount of Kiwis who would actually come and ski because of course Kiwis couldn't go offshore either, so a lot of them chose to come down to Queenstown or to Canterbury and ski. Um, so we were we were understaffed, and it was really tough on our staff. We we tried to ramp up during the season. Um, then last year we we corrected that. We had far more staff on board, but then we lost the Australian market, so it was kind of the opposite. Um, so just look, just brutal business conditions. But on the whole, you know, I, I my reflection on it is. As a business in the tourism industry, we haven't done too bad because we've got a solid local base. We're also a recreation business as well as a tourism business. And so we're so grateful to our local communities who have just come out and supported us. That domestic market was so important and that did mm. keep, you may be aware that Switzerland was open, the only country to keep turning their lifts during yeah. that 2021 season. And in fact, many of the smaller resorts, the ones who didn't rely on international tourism, such as Verbier or Zermatt, etc., did better that season because they were uh, you know experiencing the same kind of effect that you're talking about there where the mm. domestic market were much more likely to stay in switzerland than to go overseas so for yeah. them it worked out uh rachel can i can i turn to you how was that how was the situation financially let's say for the australian resorts because you know your experience was that uh domestically people who live locally were still able to go skiing but obviously they couldn't welcome people in as they normally would no, well, in 2020, a couple of the resorts, well, most of the resorts in Victoria closed completely for the entire season. I think um, Falls Creek and Hotham had, what, five days each open. That was it. And Mount Buller probably a month. And then last year, um, they lost a lot of a, a lot of their metro, metro visitation because both Sydney and Melbourne were in extensive long lockdowns and only regionals were allowed to travel. And then it became you were only allowed to exercise within your own LGA. So interesting for the 
New South Wales ski resorts is that the LGA of Cooma and Gentabite is massive. So everybody could go and exercise and they could ski or they could backcountry ski, et cetera. Um, but it's never enough to keep a, an entire ski resort as, as large as Perisher financially stable, I would imagine. I mean, I can't speak for, for the Vale Resort. Yeah, but they kept much. running the lifts. Uh, yeah, they did uh, up until season. a point. And yeah, they did up until a point, 100% they did. A lot of lodges and a lot of accommodations did shut down. Some chose not to even open for the entire season at the beginning anyway. So there was a lot of nervousness going into this season before Christmas. But once Australia opened the borders in December 15, you know, stopped vaccine mandates at that point, et cetera, once that all opened uh, and then April came along and, and we were completely open, um, people weren't concerned so much about whether the ski resorts would close down again. I'm just interested in how um, strictly those borders were managed. Now, if you <laughs> lived in that area, did you have to prove that you lived in that area to buy a yeah. lift ticket? Or, you know, could you have snuck across from one of the metropolitan areas? Look, it depends, depends how many Karens were in the actual LGA, really. Um, whether you could get through or not. Um, look, I don't know. I think everybody experienced a certain level of restriction fatigue. Um, if you lived in Victoria, it was a very different experience to that that you lived in New South Wales, to what you lived in Queensland. That all came down to state government because in Australia we have state governments um, and they're the ones that make the decisions on whether borders open or close and whether you have to go into lockdown or not, not the federal. There was a lot of state rivalry over that. Some people are still in post-trauma, stress from it. Some people are still following the restrictions from a year ago that are no longer there. And some people have just jumped <laughs> on a plane and left. Yeah, I mean, I have friends in WA where they were extremely restrictive in terms of who could go in and who could go out. And, uh, you know, my understanding is that um, there is just across Australia in general, the same sort of thing that, again, that we've seen uh, over here in the, in the UK in particular, this pent-up demand for people who weren't able to take their holidays, who are now not just taking one, but taking multiple holidays this year. Have you, have you seen that in Australia? Well, it depends on how much money you have. It depends on how privileged you were and how you, how you came, out of, came out of COVID. Some people came out of COVID way worse off than when they entered, and some people came out a lot richer so it really depends on what your motivation level is and what your value system is to whether you've got the money to jump on a plane and go overseas. Fiji, as soon as the borders opened and Fiji opened in December last year, they were booked solid of Australians for school holidays. Booked solid. You could not get you couldn't get a flight for love or money or, or accommodation over Christmas. But you know, in terms of skiing and snowboarding, the, the resorts in Australia were fully booked before the the season even started. You can't get accommodation in Australia skiing or snowboarding right now. You can through cancellations, but that's it. Because right, well, I mean that does that does suggest uh, you know that that pent up demand is clearly uh, uh, coming out. Uh, so, Paul, how about yourself? Obviously, there were some key changes leading into the season. I think one of the most important was the end of testing in the uh, Trans Tasman bubble, or coming into uh, New Zealand uh, anyway. Has that led to an increase in bookings? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, you know, there's there's so many dynamics going on in the market, it's hard to pin things on any one thing. But um, what I can tell you is that to try and get a flight across the Tasman at the moment is almost impossible. Um, my brother was bringing um, my niece over to Queenstown, couldn't come, couldn't fly to Queenstown, couldn't find a way in. 
um, he had to go to EB with Christchurch and we went up and skied at Mountain Hut instead. I'm of the understanding that that's actually a capacity issue as to how many planes are actually flying and how many how many airlines have actually pulled out of flying that direct route as well. Yeah, partly it's uh, I think uh, Virgin's not back on the on the route yeah. yet, so we've got yeah. uh, Air New Zealand, Qantas, and Jetstar. And the I actually met with Greg Foran from Air New Zealand and looking for a bit of an assurance that they were flooding that route with capacity. He told me they had 104% of the capacity that they had pre-COVID. But, of course, that 20% that we're missing from Virgin is affecting um, the availability of bookings. But I think the on, this, on the other side of it, the um, Australians are absolutely booking up a storm. Um, what we're seeing on the ground here is we're, we're selling out every day at the moment. This week has just been mental. <laughs> We've sold out of rentals. We've we're reaching out to all the rental shops in uh, in Queenstown to help us out to fulfil our customer bookings. That that is great. And just to clarify for listeners, you know that international market from Australia is key for New Zealand. I think I read somewhere the tourism minister saying that seventy one percent of international tourists who are who are skiing in New Zealand are Australians. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's it is a it is a critical market for us and and we did miss um, our Australian friends when they weren't here. The other thing about uh, New Zealanders, we, we might say have got gorse in their pockets, the Australians spend up a storm. So to give you an idea, um, in the last week since the Australians arrived, our food and beverage yield increased by 40%. Right. <laughs> How much of that was beer? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, quite about a wee bit, I'd say. I mean, that is really, really good news to hear. Uh, and you great. mentioned you mentioned about the limitations with airlines, and uh, you know, mm-hmm. over here in uh, Europe, we've got all sorts of problems with uh, flights being cancelled, and that really comes down to staff shortages. And I have read that there are still limitations, uh, you know, in New Zealand in particular as well, in terms of staff. Maybe I don't know if it affects you on the mountain, but certainly for hotels, etc. Have you found recruitment an issue for this winter? Yeah, a really interesting one. I, I need to have a chat with my HR manager because going into the winter, I kept on saying, are we okay, are we okay? And he was he's a very calm and collected gentleman. And he said to me, he was going, yeah, I think we are. And we did, we, did, we actually changed our recruitment a wee bit because we knew we were going to face an increased level of staff absences due to COVID. And we still have seven-day isolation both for um, the the co the person affected by COVID and their housemates, so that's pretty serious for us. We actually staffed to a four day roster rather than a five day roster to give us the flexibility to increase people's rosters if they wanted to. Um, but what we're seeing is in some of the key departments, you know, where they're where they're skilled and you can't quickly train someone, that's where the pressure's really going on. Um, so, it, you know, touch wood, uh, this first two, three weeks, um, Omicron can do its thing and we can get our staff back on board and, um, and join it up here. Is that mainly ski instructors, Paul? Because I found here that I've had a lot of people contact me to say that ski school is full, they can't get into any ski lessons, um, even the private lessons are full. This is obviously during school holidays. And yeah. I'm, I mean, that's obviously as a result of staff shortages because of, you know, as you just mentioned, the training level. It's a right across the board for the staff absences, but we are sold out in snow sports. We, yeah. you know, it's um, it's incredible. We're doing three times the, the snow sports business we did at the same time last year. 
That is really good news. I did read as well that I think it was last week there was an announcement between New Zealand and the UK with a deal on working visas to make it easier for people to go between uh, the two countries. So, uh, you know, if there, if there's some, uh, are you still recruiting? Are there any, uh, if there are any uh, British instructors, could they uh, be hooting their way to New Zealand? Absolutely. Any, you know, anyone who wants to work on a ski resort, you know, would take them at the moment. We, we actually ran a, a kind of a beginning of the season, a recruitment fair in Queenstown last night. Just because of some of those absences that have happened, we're needing to replace staff and increase our numbers. So I think we picked up about another 25 uh, workers that were, who will train up. Great. Well, that's really good to hear. And it's really good to hear all of this positivity about the the season down under. And I really hope that continues with both the snow and uh, the bookings. Um, I'm just going to um, change the uh, the topic slightly here and come back to you, Rachel. I was reading a, you know, your excellent website, uh, snowsbest.com, and a really interesting article on there uh, recently about gender representation in snow sports. Now, regular listeners to the show will probably be aware that in the last couple of years, there has always been at least one female voice uh, on the podcast, and that's something I've worked today really hard to try and uh, ensure. But I, I wondered if you could tell us a little bit more about that post that you wrote about that. Well, I think that's the key. What you're talking about, full stop, is is being aware of it and actively making decisions around it to change it, as opposed to just assuming the change is just going to happen because, hey, isn't it 2022? Um, that particular in-depth long feature article came about as a result of Cardrona and Treblecone doing a self-audit of their social media and having a look and realising in 2020 that I think there was about um, oh gosh, I wrote it down. 20, oh, that's it. They had 29% of their social media featured a female in their social media throughout that season. Yet of that 29%, only 15% actually featured them actively skiing or snowboarding. And so they then thought, well, we're going to have to change this. So in 2021, they did 50-50. And then in 2022, for their first two full campaigns pre-season, they only featured women. And they sat back and waited to see if anybody noticed whether they only featured women. And then they did this big launch about how they only featured women. Then they did a documentary, short documentary, called All In, which um, was really fascinating and talked to all of these female athletes about how they felt about being a woman in in snow sports and, and the representation of women in snow sports in particular. And so then I just delved a little deeper. We did a story a number of years ago about the Australian ski fields and it literally was, dear Australian ski fields, do you even know women can ski? Because it was the opening. Oh, I didn't win a lot of friends, I have to tell you. 50% I didn't win, 50% I did. But um, they, it was because I had looked at all the social media that they had sent me, all of the, you know, the VNR, the, the newsreels, the, the social media images, everything they sent, and 95% of them were males. There wasn't any representation of me as a female, let alone me as a middle-aged woman, let alone diverse, diversity of, of skin colour or race. There was none of that and certainly not women. So we wrote a story about that. So this particular story, I started to think, it can't honestly and true, truly still be the case. Started looking at the ski media in Australia. If you looked at the two magazines, of which there's only two print magazines left here, of all of the 44 contributors... There was only four females. So it kind of starts at the top. It's, you know, all run by all of these men. It's only male voices and male perspective that you're hearing. Not that, that male perspective is wrong. The guy that actually created the documentary for All In said that he was 
he thought he didn't realize how much he was part of the problem because he would film the skiers for the social media channels and he'd go running out the door and he'd just grab his mates and of course he's going to have more male mates and you throw them in front of the camera and then he would take a woman and he would judge how they skied and because they didn't ski as cool as he thought they should which was the way his lens was to see males he'd be like oh no i'm not putting that in but at least he through through this experience he became really aware of this bias he had and then somebody sent me an email the other day saying, oh, did you see this person skiing? They were a female. That was great, but they skied really badly. And I said, but what does it matter how someone skis? We just want to see everyone having fun. And we want to see ourselves. And we're not all Ted Ligety and, and Lindsay Vaughn, let me tell you. So really, it's about showing the reality. So is this therefore a campaign? Are you kind of lobbying resorts oh, or are you just bringing it to the fore? Well, we lobbied a few years ago. I mean, Cardona and Treble kind of lobbying. I believe that... Um, Mount Buller agreed to doing a self-audit, whether they have or not, I don't know. I believe that Panorama and Canada agreed to doing a self-audit and, and making some changes. We created a hashtag called Show Us to Girls. And we created that hashtag and a Facebook group around that. We have 6,000 women in it. We started a number of years ago because you can't be what you can't see. So with social media, everyone's got a phone. Everyone can be a, a cameraman. Everyone can be a videographer. Throw yourself in front of the camera. Put yourself up on social media. Let's see more women skiing. Let's see more girls skiing. Let's see, and not not all girls together. Let's see a mix. Yeah, excellent. Well, that's very, very interesting, Paul. I have to ask you: Do you have a, like a gender representation policy at nzski.com? Yeah, absolutely. We've got a diversity policy, and and you know, I've got to say, hats off to our friends in Monica for challenging challenging the industry to to look at itself and how it is representing different groups, not just women, but different ethnicities and, and so on. Um, I actually love the quote from Anna Smoothie in that All In film where she says, in the end, we won't talk about girl skiers and boy skiers, men and women, everyone will just be a skier. And we'll only know we're there when that happens. So, yeah, we do need to look at ourselves and go, hey, you know, there might be some roles that we're not getting many women applicants. Why Why is that? Can we? Can we... Can we represent them in a different way? Can we, you know, how can we change it? So, yeah, just constantly challenging it. Absolutely. It's, it's, a, it's a great piece of work. Cool. You know, I, I can see uh, that changes can happen. For example, in the UK, the uh, Women's European Championships football or soccer maybe to you guys started yesterday. And this is very high profile event now. You know, it's getting a lot of attention in cricket, for example. Maybe the designation that you're talking about there, Rachel, where people that used to be referred to batsmen are now batters. And that's mm. become a you know very common term. And women's cricket also has a high profile in the UK. So I think, you know, it's a period of uh, it can take a period of time. But um, I'll certainly put all the links into uh, the All In documentary. I mean, there's still, there's still a way to go, even with the, the and the cricket, because 8% of sponsorship dollars goes to women's sport, which means that 92% goes... The opposite direction. Well, I, I guess um, it's not something that's going to be changed immediately. But in, in my experience of watching uh, sport and, for example, my children, mm -hmm. how they relate to it is that things are definitely uh, changing for sure. I mean, yeah. a few years back, my kids would never know have known any of the names of any of the players in the uh, women's football or cricket team. And now they know lots of them. So that has got to be a positive uh, thing. That's I awesome. would say. Yeah, that's awesome.
Right, we're going to move to the uh, close now then. Um, just to let you know, uh, uh, listeners, that our survey is now closed. I want to thank everyone who responded. The winners of the Atomic Goggles were Chris Waters and Nicole Clark, who it turns out I picked a winner at random who lives in Australia. I don't know if you've ever heard of Nicole Clark. Anyway, uh, we're going to send that out to her. Um, still looking through all the data. I'm going to summarise it on the uh, website. Lots of feedback. I did note this comment from someone. Uh, it was anonymous. He said, I think reading out reviews at the end of the podcast comes across as a bit off. Uh, reading out gushing reviews feels a bit over the top for me. Well, with that in mind, uh, they do also say the podcast is approachable and friendly. And Gethin said on Facebook, the podcast is great. Bit of feedback on our last episode, 96, we had Neil English on. His father founded the London uh, Ski Show. And a couple of people posted. Uh, uh, Caroline uh, Edelin said she worked on the first shows for Sousy Do. Uh, Sir David always used to uh, stop by to say hello. Uh, it was really nice he remembered me. And Anne Bennett said to David English was a great guy, pioneered skiing in mass media. I worked on the first shows at the Ingham stand. Uh, in relation to the podcast, quick note on length. We're going to experiment with the length of the podcast. This one's going to be a bit shorter. I think in a time-compressed world, an hour may be a bit too much, although there were plenty of people who responded who said they'd be happy for the ep- episodes to be like 90 minutes or more. Uh, a quick reply as well, a comment we had on the Arnie Wilson uh, podcast. Um, asked why, or they actually said that the podcast was too short. We didn't have enough time to include the tragic end to his Ski the Year experience, which some listeners may know about. I have to say that this wasn't a time constraint. It was simply that Arnie did not want to uh, discuss that. So I just wanted to uh, clarify that. Now, I do enjoy all feedback about the show. So please do get in contact. Reviews, comments, uh, wherever you want to leave them are always welcome. Uh, you can follow me at Skipedia and the podcast at the Ski Podcast. But for now, I'd like to thank Switzerland Tourism for sponsoring the show and thank my guest today. Uh, joining us from Australia, uh, Rachel. Thank you. Thank you, Ian. And joining us from New Zealand, uh, Paul. Kia ora, namihi. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, and finally, listener, thank you for joining us today. And until next time, goodbye. Hi there, listener. This is Ian. Just a reminder, that if you enjoy the podcast, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash the ski podcast. While I'm eternally grateful to Switzerland Tourism for supporting the podcast, it doesn't go anywhere near covering the amount of time that it takes going into this. And just to give you an idea, here are the closing credits from another podcast that I really love, 99% Invisible. 99% Invisible was produced this week by Avery Truffman. It was edited by Delaney Hall. Fact-checking by Sona Avakian. Mix and tech production by Martin Gonzalez. Production assistance by Jacob Maldonado Medina and Sarah Bake. Music by our director of sound, Swan Real. Special thanks to Allison C. Meyer and Rebecca Lewin McCarley, who were so helpful with research for this story. Also thanks to Meredith Hotnot, Drew Hopft, Joy Yusan, and most of all, to Zach Fishman. 99% Invisible's executive producer... Yeah, well, you get the idea. Uh, There's a lot of people who go into producing a tremendous podcast. It is 99% invisible. I do my very best here. But if you enjoy it, please feel free to buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash the ski podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of the ski podcast. Don't forget that if you want to support the podcast, then remember to book your ski hire with Intersport and use the code SKIPODCAST or simply take the link in the show notes. It'll save you money and help us too. Thanks again and have a great winter.